Welcome back to another episode of the Legal Warrior Podcast. I'm Stephen Hislop, and as usual, I'm joined by my good friend and the founding partner of Richardson Richardson Boudreaux Law Firm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Gary Richardson. We also have a special guest and a good friend of Gary's, Keith Kochner. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing good. I got a little trouble in my voice, but I didn't want to pass this up. Yeah. It's good to be here. This will be fun. Looking good. forward to sharing. Yeah, we're glad to have you today, Keith. Today we're going to talk a little bit about Gary's book, Fear is Never Your Friend. Yeah. Uh, you know, the uh, Henry Lucas, The Confession Killer, is a five-series uh, document documentary now on Netflix, and a lot of people are watching it. So I've had a lot of people contact me and... Uh, you know, express the fact that uh, it must have been a very fearful thing for, for me to do the things I did and for Vic to do the things he did, because Vic's the one that basically brought to light how they were, law enforcement, were wrongfully using uh, Henry to solve unresolved murder cases all over the country. And, of course, I represented Henry for two years myself to try to help unwind some of the things that he confessed to that he didn't do. And uh, so it made me realize... You know, people would basically ask about Vic and, and how courageous he was and, and the things I did. And it made me realize that I need to talk about the book. Fear is never your friend. Never your friend. And it has uh, several chapters to it. Uh, for example, uh, first one is, no can be a great answer. Well, you might say, well, what's that about? Well, read the book. <laughs> <laughs> but what about the people that say, hey, no, fear can be your friend because fear might keep you from walking up to a snake and getting hurt or walking across the street and not looking both ways. A lot of people think fear. I know you've taught me, and I know better now, but I know it's a pretty common uh, philosophy oh. or perspective that fear is beneficial. Yeah, and, and Keith, I've been asked... Uh, on occasions uh, about that very thing. You know, a fear keeps me from running out in front of a truck. Well, the theory of the book is it isn't fear, it's knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom. Uh, for example, the snake uh, situation you brought up, uh, one lady said, well, when I told her what the title of my book was, she said, well, and because of the expression on her face, I said, I get the impression you don't agree with that. She said, well, I really don't. I said, well, give me an example where you think fear could be your friend. And she said, well, you know, if I saw a snake on the floor all curled up and I knew I, and I knew it was a dangerous snake and I was in striking distance, I think if fear came over me, that helped me uh, uh, protect myself, getting out of the way. I said, well, that's a good example, but let me give you what I would say about that, and that's this. What do you think a two-year-old child baby would do that's crawling on the floor and they saw the same snake? She said, well, they'd probably go to the snake. I said, exactly. Now, what do you have that that two-year-old baby doesn't have? You have knowledge. You immediately noticed it was a dangerous snake, and you have wisdom. Wisdom tells you to get out of the presence of that snake, and you had wisdom enough to know that if you made a jerking move, to get out of the presence of the snake, that snake would probably come after you. Right. But if you very slowly moved out of the way, you would most likely protect yourself. You know, like guy says, well, wisdom, uh, fear keeps me from running out in front of a truck. Well, knowledge. If I ran out from that truck, I would get severely hurt, most likely. Wisdom, don't do it. 
So you're suggesting that maybe people misdiagnose fear as a thing that keeps them out of doom, but it's actually wisdom or knowledge. Exactly. And you know, I grew up with a lot of fear. I grew up out in the country, and I I, at that, that time I was rather small for my age. Uh, I didn't get my height until I was a freshman in college. I'm 6'2 now. And uh, I, uh, I had a lot of fear, and I hated it. I hated it. So in my 30s, I decided to do something about getting rid of my fear. And I went to the scriptures. And that's where I came to the strength that I have. Fear no man, you know. Yeah. Fear I'm no man. Giving you the spirit of fear. Yeah. And, and my book, Black Robe Fever, is about judges that I've been in front of that uh, have been bullies. And I've been held in contempt of court a lot of times, in one case, eight times in one week. Wow. By a federal judge said I was going to jail for six months. After As I said, can't over. you get in trouble for that? <clears throat> I've it- never been punished yet. <laughs> And the reason was because I knew I was within my limits as a lawyer. So they tried to scare you. They tried to intimidate me. Right. And the thrust of the book, Black Robe Fever, uh, Keith, is that all cowards seek positions of power because the more power they have, the more safe they feel. Huh. And when when a a bully gets power, get this, they will become, or when a coward gets power, they will become a bully. Right. Yeah. All cowards seek powerful positions because they feel more safe when they get one. And when they get one, they will become a bully. So I always knew if I was dealing with a judge that was being a bully, that I was dealing with a coward. So I have a question. So when you were, you know, I know this is a big deal now because Netflix has covered it. It's their, one of their number one documentaries ever. You're right. So at the time when you had Henry Lucas as a client. Right. Are you saying that you didn't have any fear at all when you were sitting with him? Zero. Henry Lucas was like a collie dog. So you could tell oh, he yeah. didn't do all the stuff that he was getting it, made to confess to or it, being talked into confess to. Or it whatever. wasn't his nature. It wasn't his nature. Now, Henry did uh, cause his mother to die because one night they went to a bar and they were drinking and his mother was a prostitute. And Henry lived with his mother to kind of help her financially. And Henry had his girlfriend come that night, and she didn't know Henry had a girlfriend. And Henry told his mother that night that they were going to get married. Well, his mother just came out of her chair. She was so upset. So Henry went home, went to bed, went to sleep. His mother came home finally, got a broom, and started beating him over the head with a broom handle. And he jumped up out of bed and and backhanded her, and she fell into the facing of a a door, and and she died. Got it. That's what happened. But, uh, you know, fear uh, is, and as a lawyer, as a lawyer, lawyers, you know, they they have fear of taking cases that they think they can't win. And I say to lawyers when they start off saying, well, I'm afraid that, I say, you can hold it right there. I'm not interested in hearing anything that comes out of your mouth that's based on fear. About fear. I'm serious. And when I represent large corporations over the years, I would, I would tell the person that called me, a lot, a lot of times the owner, sometimes the CEO or whatever, I will represent you under one condition. Your in-house counsel is not allowed to be involved in the case because he will try to hold me back. Lawyers I work with hold me, try to hold me back. Because they have a fear. That, and they don't have the vision, you know. They're, they're basically you know, things on fear and they don't have vision. You can't have vision and have fear. 
Right. They they do not go together. So, Gary, speaking of vision and fear, why don't we take a minute and uh, introduce your friend Keith and okay. talk about what he does and how vision and fear might play into his career. Yeah. Keith. Uh, now, don't exaggerate it, but make it really good. Make it good. No, <laughs> As Keith Kochner uh, uh, says, I've mentored him uh, as far back as, what, 20 years ago? Yeah, two decades now. Yeah. And uh, I told Vic, I told uh, uh, Keith as a very young man at that time, how old are you now, Keith? 44. 44. Well, Keith was 24. And I told him then, I said, Keith, I've known a lot of young men, but I will tell you, you have more faith at your age than any young man I've ever known. I remember that. So, you know, that's why you have vision. And I told you, you're going to be very successful one day because you have vision. You're not afraid. You don't live out of fear. You live out of vision. Absolutely. So Keith has become one of the top speakers in the nation, sometimes referred to as the next uh, Robbins. Is that his yeah, name? Tony, when it was, Tony when I was 28, they were calling me the next Tony Robbins back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can use vision because you don't have fear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've got to work and be blessed with a lot of people to work with them because one of the biggest fears people have is speaking in front of groups of people. Right. Or speaking to live audiences. But it's like you said, if you can teach them certain things, give pass on the knowledge and the wisdom, then that knowledge replaces the fear. Well, this one book here, let me see how many pages it's got. It has uh, about 170 pages. Keith, I've spent as much as four hours doing a seminar on this book. Yeah. One uh, California, I spent four hours with a national, with a group of na uh, salesmen for this company mm -hmm. that were from all over the nation. Four hours. Oh, that well, that's uh, a huge deal because what's one of the number one thing salespeople? Why don't they talk to more people? Right. Because they're afraid. They're afraid. And, well, of course, my background is sales and motivational work before I became a lawyer. And so, uh, you know, and they wouldn't even, they didn't even want to stop to take a, a lunch break because right. we only had four hours. Right. And so we, we kind of ate along as we were, as, as I was speaking. And I, I didn't get to eat much, but I had more fun. Uh, with these folks than I did eating. So. Yeah, of course. Do you remember that time? It's probably, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago now, I was doing a very high-end, very exclusive uh, event for about 100 leaders from all over North America. Right. And you came in and did what was supposed to be like an hour on fear. Right. And then we ended up going almost the whole morning. Exactly. Because nobody wanted to hear anything else from me anymore. They wanted to hear because this was so good. And quite honestly, I've learned so much from that same book and a lot of your other things that you've taught me and I've talked about how valuable wisdom is instead of fear. Right. And then somebody actually made this for me and sent it to me. It said, fear knocked at my door, wisdom answered, and no one was there. Right. And I quoted you on that because it's something I learned from you over the years. And then somebody created a beautiful thing of art that I hang on my wall now in my home still. It's in my home today. It says, fear knocked at the door, wisdom answered, and no one was there. Isn't that kind of exactly yeah, right. what you teach? Yeah, yeah and you know, uh, I was trying a case uh, here in Tulsa several years ago, and in the case we needed a, a lady that could read handwriting. You know, okay. and so one day we were getting ready for trial, and she asked me if I would like for her to read my handwriting. I said, sure. I like to know as much about myself as I can. I've never been afraid to take any kind of test because I want to know truth. Sure. Truth, truth is what I seek. And uh, 
She said, wow. And I said, what does that mean? She said, I bet you don't get along very well with the lawyers you work with. I said, well, I feel like I do. Why do you say that? She said, Mr. Richardson, there's only one reason why you would. They trust your judgment because you're at least two steps ahead of the average lawyer in what you see. Well, I think it's a lot because I had gone through this process of removing fear from my life to where I could see more. Oh, that's a great point. I mean, I think about my own life, and yes, I appreciate the nice things you said, and I've had a wonderful career speaking, but if I'm gonna be 100% authentic, I still wrestle with fear, kind of like some people maybe wrestle with their health. It's something that I still have to pay attention to on a daily basis, like it says in the Bible, a daily renewal of my mind, right? because that fear sneaks up in my day-to-day life, and if I'm not careful, like you said, it begins to dilute me and water down my results or water down my ambition or my confidence. What would you say to give some tips, practical tips to somebody even like me or somebody that's maybe listening today, whether they're an attorney or a business person or entrepreneur, whatever it may be, what are some things that they can do to help them overcome fear on a daily basis? Well, if they're people that believe in the scriptures, it's real easy. That's, yeah, it is easy. It's real easy because, you know, just like you were saying, there are times I have to renew my mind, right? you know, so fear won't come over me because I know it's not my friend. Right. You know, Apostle Paul said, I have to renew my mind daily. Every day. Every day. So when fear or anxiety, you know, the scripture says, be anxious for nothing. When it starts trying to come over you, you renew your mind about who Christ is in your life, who you are, and what you can achieve through him. So myself and or any listeners today, I shouldn't or they shouldn't feel bad if they feel fear or they start to sense it coming into their lives. Right. Don't make that wrong because that's part of our flesh. That's that's normal. Exactly. But most people bow to fear instead right. of making fear bow to them. What are some things that somebody could do just to, even if they don't have a faith background, to help make fear bow to them? Like what would they do or what have you done? Obviously, wisdom and knowledge well, replaces the fear. Yeah, and, and that's the other key. Is it about getting you know, more whether, knowledge whether and wisdom? You, whether you follow Christianity and the Scripture or not, Quit using fear as to why you don't do something. Use knowledge and wisdom, and that'll start getting it out of your out of your system, out of your thinking, out of your subconscious. So you're mind. suggesting starting to purge it purge out it. of our minds yeah. by not even saying that kind of thing anymore, realizing what it really is. Exactly. That's helping you. Okay. You know, for example, someone said, "Well, fear might cause someone to work harder." Well, wisdom and knowledge causes me to work harder because, and it's easy for anybody to see. Fear's not going to help me go out and make a living. Fear will keep me from it. Get it out of my life, fear. I know the answer. The answer is go to work and receive receive the harvest. Right. You know? So fear is never your friend. You know, one of the things that I do that you've helped me learn over the years, of course, is every morning I have a, uh, I don't know what you would call it, uh, kind of like a, a dream board or a vision board. But what it's filled with is examples of people that were in situations that could have created fear, but they stood on the truths that we know are biblical, right. and God delivered them. Right. And I think to myself, hey, if David can kill the giant, 
if Moses can stand in front of the Red Sea, I have pictures. Right. I have, exactly. I have these pictures that I focus my mind on every day, and I look at, and I have several dozen of them, and I just, I really, I don't glance at them. I really take time to think about it, to do what you're saying, to renew my mind. I'm like, well, hey, you know what? If God can do that for them in a part of sea, right. He can bring walls down like He did with Jericho without right. anybody even physically touching right. the wall. Yeah. And then you, I can go out and manage my day. What can He not do for me? Yeah. And Vic Fussell, that we mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, we're in this trial where Vic was indicted, looking at 84 years in prison. You would have never known that he was in the midst of a trial. I mean, one, one weekend, it lasted six weeks. One weekend, we were sitting out by the, by the pool just talking, and I said, Vic, you know, you amaze me. He said, what do you mean? I said, no one being around you would know that you're involved in a trial and you're looking at going to penitentiary for 84 years if you get convicted. And I said, that's amazing. He said, well, Gary, he said, if I get convicted, I'll just go to prison. There's nothing I can do about it. If, you know, I can't do anything about it. He said, worrying about it or fretting over it's not going to change anything. He True. said, if I get convicted, I'll just go to the penitentiary and play basketball and run track. <laughs> and, it, and it might have been because he knew he had one of the best attorneys in North America representing him as well. Well, I told him that, uh, that the way we were going to try the case was the most difficult way to win the case, but it was the only way to win the case, and that was to convince the jury that eight law enforcement officers, including a couple of FBI agents, put together fraudulent facts to get him indicted. And a friend of his, who's very wealthy, came to him and told him he needed a more powerful lawyer and said he would pay the lawyer's fee, which would have been a big amount of money, if Vic would hire him. So Vic called me and asked me if I was okay if he talked to this lawyer. I said, Vic, if you can get Racehorse Haynes you are, and you don't, you ought to be convicted. I right. said, he's one of, the top, one of the top three criminal defense lawyers in the nation. And so... He visited with uh, Haynes for about four hours one afternoon. He called me that evening and asked me if I would second chair Haynes if he hired him. I said, no, it'd be a waste of my time and his because he won't try the case the way I would. And he told Vic we couldn't win it the way I strategized the case. And I said, well, did he tell you how you could win it? And he said, no. And I said, well, you need to call him and ask him. Racehorse, how are you going to win my case? And... Uh, he called me back the next day and he said, Gary, uh, I'd quote him a pretty large fee, not near what uh, Racehorse would have quoted him. He said, if, if I can't pay you all your money, are you going to drop me? And I said, Vic, he'd paid me some. If you want me to be your lawyer and try your case, I will tell you when the jury comes back with a verdict, whether you ever pay me another dime or not, I will be standing by your side. He said, then I want you to try it. Well. That's awesome. That is. Gary. I've always seen, and I do believe, that you can never give more than you will receive. That's true. And I believe that. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of this book, Fear is Never Your Friend, um, may or may not be some of the other people's favorite part of this book, but my favorite part is just the word never and how it ties in because I know you well enough to know your stance on absolutes. Yeah. So to hear you use the word never in a book title right. really stuck out to me and opened my mind up to what you were getting across. Why don't you 
share your stance on absolutes and how the word never plays into this book. Good point, uh, Steve. I, I uh, as you know, I've mentored a number of young fellows over the years, and <clears throat> one guy came to me and asked me if I would mentor him, and I said, are you sure you want me to do that? I knew him, not all that well, and he said, why? And I said, because it can be very painful. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, being around you, there's one thing you do as much and maybe, maybe more than anyone I've ever been around, and that is you make statements of absolute that you can't in any way or form prove to be or, an absolute. Or back up. And I said, or back up. Yeah. And I said, you know, it'll cause you to lose friends. It'll cause you to, lo you know, it'll create problems with your spouse. It'll create problems with, with your working, fellow work employees because you'll say things as absolute that they know is not an absolute. Right. And then they don't know whether to believe you. Uh, they don't know when to believe you. You see, so if you want me to mentor you, that's the thing we're going to work on. And I, I will give you two examples. We've been sitting here for about 15 minutes. Two absolutes that you use that you cannot prove to be absolutes. And I did. So I said, now, the thing that I want to do during this process of working with you is figure out what it is you get out of using absolutes. And I said, that's the thing I'm going to try to f figure out as I mentor you. So after a couple of months, I said, you know, I think I finally figured out you'll have to decide whether or not there's any accuracy to this or not. But I said, I'm of the opinion you use absolutes because you want attention. And you'd rather have somebody to argue with you over a, a statement you've made than not show you any attention at all. Now well, you tell me whether or not that, that's the case. And he sat there, he said, I agree. Wow, what a point. Yeah. Wow. So that's, that's a very interesting take that I never do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, now if you say I absolutely ate breakfast this morning, you can probably prove that. <laughs> but, but I'm talking about some people just use absolutes throughout their conversations and it drives me crazy. Yeah. Words like never and always yeah, and, and always. Absolutely. Even, exactly. Yeah. You know, so uh, and I've noticed talking to you, rarely do you use those words. Right. And it, But in this case, it's an absolute that I can prove. Fear is never your friend. Never, never, never. I agree. Exactly. If you don't agree with that, read the book and see if you still do after that. Right. Exactly. You can send us an email at legalwarriorpodcast at gmail.com. You can call Gary's law office at, you'll have to tell him. 7674 and we will get you a book there. Or my cell phone, 918-527-1175. And the book cost is $15, $20? I normally sell them for 10 that people that, uh, you know, call me as a result of the podcast. Okay. So yeah. $10, you can get a copy of this book, and I highly recommend it. It will literally change the way you live. It will. It will. Yes. So, well, guys, is there anything else you would like to cover or talk about? I know we've had a great conversation so far. I appreciate you including me. It's a great joy to be here. Well, I appreciate you being here. Yeah, it's been great. So, well, thank you all for listening. And, again, if you'd like to contact us, you can do that on the social media at Legal Warrior Podcast. You can send us an email at uh, legalwarriorpodcast at gmail.com, or you can call the number that... Gary just gave you if you have a question about a legal matter that you'd like to discuss with him he will 
take your first call and discuss that matter free of charge. And I won't even turn my clock on. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, all right, Keith, well, thank you for joining us. This my was pleasure. a great show. I enjoyed it. And Gary, same to you. And thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you next time.